Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. We're going to begin tonight our Sunday evening series where we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, this prayer should be familiar to you all. It's something we recite each Sunday morning, and I'm excited to look at it in a deeper way this this year, this summer. So we're going to be reading from uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father, I pray that you'll be with my words tonight. Father, may they glorify you. May all of our hearts and our minds be in tune to the, to the work of your spirit through the word of God, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, I'm excited to be looking at this prayer. Um, I'm excited for us to stop and think about it. I think often when something's familiar to us, there is the potential that we gloss over and the prayer does not hit us the way it should. And I hope it strikes us this summer, especially as we read about it. This Lord's Prayer, we have Jesus, the Son of God, teaching us how to pray, giving to us his very words so that we will know how to pray in a right and holy way. There's always been much debate around this prayer over whether this prayer was meant uh, by Christ for us to recite word for word or if it's more of a guide uh, or a template that we should follow as we pray, we don't know for sure. It's not explicitly clear which option is more right. However, what is clear is the intent and the purpose for which Christ gives the Lord's Prayer here. Right before Christ gives the prayer, we are told that when we pray, that we are not to be like the hypocrites. Prayer is not a show. It's, prayer is something that's between us and God. It's not a time to show God or others how spiritual we are. It's a time when we go to God for life and sustenance. It's a time when we seek to glorify God and build our faith. Prayer is not for God, it's for us. Notice right right before the prayer, Jesus says that we shouldn't use meaningless words and that God already knows what we need. When we pray, we're not informing God of anything. Rather, prayer is informing us It's informing us of the loving nature of God. Prayer is the time where we humbly place ourselves 
under the mercy of God and seek his strength and guidance. So when Christ says pray in this way, we must learn to pray. And whether we recite this passage word for word, which we do Sunday morning, or we use it as a guide for our request, whatever way is taken, it has to be done in a sincere manner with humility and with love for God. And in trust, in trusting that He hears, hears us and will help. This prayer is broken into six different petitions or requests. These six petitions will be the guide for our sermons over the summer. And tonight we're going to start with the first one, hallowed be your name. The first three petitions in the prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done, relate to the glory and the honor of God. There are requests for God's glory to be more fully realized and displayed in our lives and in the world, that his kingdom will come and that his will be done. The last three petitions have to do with our needs the things that we rely on for our own sanctification. Christ teaches us through this prayer what prayer ought to consist of. And it ought to have these two focuses, God's glory and our needs. Faithful prayer includes both of these elements. We must first and foremost be committed to the will of God being accomplished and have a correct understanding of the authority and the position of God. And... We must also ask things from God and ask things that are meant to grow our faith and to sustain us. And so in this prayer, Jesus shows and encourages us to go to God for real life-sustaining help. This is everything we need for our life and our salvation. The opening of the prayer teaches us of the tender care and the love that God has for us and how he is inclined to help us. The prayer begins, Our Father, Do not gloss over that opening. Our Father. Remember, Jesus is instructing how we are to approach God in prayer. And he starts by saying, Our Father. It's Christ's Father, but he says our. And by the work of Christ, God is our Father. Jesus includes us with him. We go to the Father the same way Christ goes to the Father. We have the same access to the Father as Christ does. And God also responds to us in the same way he responds to Christ. What an incredible encouragement to pray. What father is not inclined to give his children good things? God wants and wills that good things come to us. And he wants us to ask him. It's critical that we go to God and understand that he is a father. We must expect and trust him to work. So God's our Father. He's our Father who is in heaven. The next, the next words there, who is in heaven. So not only is God our Father, but He's also in heaven. His place is in a seat of power and authority. Every good earthly father, even though he desires good for his children, for their well-being, is limited. Resources are not endless. Power is limited. And even though he does desire to give good things to his children to give the world to his children. He does not have the capability or the authority to do so. This is not the case with God our Father. He has created and he owns all things. He is a good father and he is all-powerful and sovereign. He not only desires to give to us, but he can. In every way imaginable and even beyond what we could ever ask or think. 
He can't let us down as an earthly father might. He will always deliver and come through. He sits in the heavens and the earth is his footstool. Nothing falls outside of God's care in his hand. These two truths, that God is Father and that he sits in heaven, are essential, fundamental truths that we must realize as we go to God in prayer. And if we are to pray as we ought to, we must believe and know that God is a Father who desires to give to us, who wants to do well, to, for us to do well and to feel secure. And that he is all-powerful, enthroned in heaven, and able to do more than we could ask. This is the opening of the prayer, and it teaches us what our mindset, what our posture should be as we come to God. And if God is not supremely powerful and good in our minds as a father is, we will not pray the way we should. We will not pray in faith, and we won't ask for things of God that align with his will. So the, Lord preaches, the Lord's Prayer teaches us how we are to pray faithfully, what to ask for, and how to ask. We ask simply, and we ask in faith. And when we trust that God is good, that he's a father to us, that he's all-powerful, we will pray in faith. Trust God. Let your prayers be driven by this deep reality that God is our Father and that He is true. And so Christ, beginning the prayer this way, having now aligned our hearts and our minds to have faith and trust in God as a Father, He moves to the six petitions. Petition, again, is, is a request. That's all it means. It's asking God for something, asking for Him to work. And so the first petition in this prayer is hallowed be your name. To be hallowed simply means to be made or, or treated holy uh, or to be sanctified. So it's asking that God's name may be holy, may be made sanctified. And the request that God's name be hallowed means that we are asking God's name to be lifted up and to be honored by all, including ourselves. We are asking that God ensures that his glory is shown to all men, and all men and women revere his holiness. It's a request that his glory be on display for all the earth, and that he will make it so. This is the first petition. The next two petitions that will come follow closely in line with this, um, that the name of the Lord is exalted, and his kingdom is established, and his will is done. This is a request and not a declaration. When we pray the first petition of the Lord, we are asking that God will work and that his name will be sanctified. An important point to remember is the purpose of prayer in general. We must remember that God does not need our prayer. He's not relying on our prayers, nor is he informed by them. God commands us to pray, not because he has need, but because we have need, because we lack faith, because we need the strength. That is why we pray. Remember, Jesus said to us right before he gives this prayer that God already knows our needs before we ask him. Prayer is for us. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer that God's name be hallowed, that his name be holy, we do not do so because God lacks holiness or because his name is deficient on its own. We don't give something to God that he needs. We give to God something that he wants and is owed. God is owed glory. His name is to be spoken 
with fear and with reverence, and His name is to be worshipped. Prayer is the way we worship God and treat Him as holy. And as we bring our priorities in line with God's priorities, that's what prayer is. And so this request is asking God to make His name holy. And the manifestation of God answering this prayer will be reflected in our lives. It's a request that asks God to cause us to honor Him and to treat Him as holy in the ways we speak, in the ways we act, in the ways we listen to and obey His Word. It is to our great benefit that God's name is glorified and honored. And it's our benefit that we are the ones who do this, that we are the ones who in fact regard God as holy. Implied in this prayer, implied in this request of God, is that we will act. All prayer necessitates action. If we are to pray that the Lord's name will be hallowed, we're committing ourselves to this type of worship of God. We cannot ask this of God and at the same time blithely sit back without a changed will and heart. So is the priority of your life to see to it that the name of the Lord is honored. In your life and in those God has given responsibility over, given to you. Do the words and the actions of your life reflect a man or woman who is first and foremost concerned with the glory of God and His holiness in this way? We learn in the the third commandment, the Ten Commandments, we are to honor the name of the Lord by not taking his name in vain. This commandment prohibits the vain use of God's name, certainly prohibiting us from speaking carelessly of God. The commandment also demands from us that we give the glory due to God by proclaiming his name with reverence and honor. It's not enough that we abstain from degrading speech of God, but we must also declare his greatness to the world. Certainly our words and our speech matter to God. Our words reveal what we believe, and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Honoring God, not taking His name in vain, involves our speech, and it goes well beyond that as well. I'd like to turn to Numbers 20 and read a passage from there that I think helps us understand this idea. Uh, Numbers 20, verse, starting in verse 8. This is Moses and Aaron with the people of Israel at the water of Meribah. Numbers 20. Take the rod. This is God speaking to Moses and Aaron. Take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly in the congregation, and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, 
because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. In our passage, Moses and Aaron did not treat God as holy before the people. Instead of trusting God and leading the people by faith, they doubted and they acted in anger. God commanded Moses to speak to the rock, and instead he struck it twice. Moses did not honor the people, or did not honor God. He disobeyed. Nor does he attribute to God the power to bring forth the water from the rock. In anger, he acted, striking the rock. And also, take note of how he speaks to the people. You rebels, should we bring water out of this rock? Should we? And he says it in this question as sort of a we will or we won't. Should we? Moses and Aaron clearly did not seem to think the people deserved to have this water given to them. This is very different than when Moses spoke to the people at at the crossing of the Red Sea, telling them that God would be their deliverer, that he would deliver them. There's no mention of God here. Moses here makes a judgment that God didn't make. He spoke to the people in a way that God did not speak to them here. When God was showing mercy to the Israelites and giving them water, Moses showed anger and vengeance. He felt justified to act this way in front of the people. He felt that this is the way the people deserve to be treated in the moment. And Moses did not just judge the people here. He judged God. In his estimation, Moses here did not think God was maybe severe enough on the people. He thought God to be too long-suffering for the people, too merciful. Moses did not treat God as holy. He didn't believe. Notice it says, because you did not believe in me to treat me holy. He did not believe God. And because of this, they did not treat God as holy in the sight of the people. And this would be why Moses and Aaron would not lead the people into the promised land. They did not hollow the name of the Lord. They brought dishonor and shame upon God's name. As God's leaders and representatives to the people, they veered from the path that God had commanded them, and they doubted. They doubted God's plan. They doubted God's justice, his mercy, and his patience. This is what barred these two great and godly men from the promised land. Even Moses and Aaron were treated this way by sinning and not regarding God's name as holy. In order to honor, in order to make God's name hallowed, we must believe him and obey. We must believe that he is a good father and he is all-powerful. Even when things are not going well, we cannot live with doubt. That will cause us to take matters into our own hand and to seek the glory that is due for God. In this story, Moses and Aaron serve as a reminder of the importance that we must believe and obey God. Notice how Moses, God tells Moses and he tells Aaron that they did so in front of the congregation of Israel. This is why they're not permitted. They did so in front. Of course, this was not the first time Moses and Aaron would have sinned as the leaders of God's people. And yet this failure by them This public failure led to them being barred from the land. God will not be mocked, nor will he suffer his name to be dishonored, especially by the leaders of his people in public ways. 
This is an example to us. This should warn us of how seriously God is concerned with his name being treated as holy. So when we doubt God, when we don't believe and trust in him, we make him out to be a liar. Is God who he says he is or is he not? Will God deliver you or will he not? Does he deeply care for you or does he not? It's our word or it's the Lord's. It can't be both. And so either God is a liar or he is faithful and loving. If we doubt God and thus label him a liar, we profane his name. And God will not tolerate this. He didn't with Moses and Aaron, and he won't with us. So the prayer, hallowed be your name, means we are calling ourselves to uphold God as holy, to be obeyed and to believe his word, and to not allow our sinfulness to bring low the name of the Lord. It's a prayer that commits ourselves to look to God with full confidence and with faith, knowing that he alone is to be feared and worshipped. It's a prayer that asks for God's name to be honored, especially when we believe and trust in him. Do you believe and trust God? Do you treat him as holy and is this seen through your obedience? What keeps you from doing so? Taking our story still, how did Moses and Aaron get to this point? Well, they were frustrated. The people were rebellious. They were difficult. Moses and Aaron received much opposition along the way. The people often murmured and grumbled. They wouldn't go into the promised land. They sinned often and they worshiped foreign gods. At this point, Moses and Aaron have grown weary. Moses, he was frustrated that they weren't in the promised land and that the people would often not trust God. Moses here felt that his action, his anger, taking matters into his own hand, lashing out, would lead to results. Moses doubted in this moment that God was still leading the people, so he assumed control. We're just like Moses and Aaron. We're tempted to believe that God is not listening to our prayers and that he's slow to action. We're driven to doubt and despair when we relinquish, relinquish our wholehearted trust in God And we inevitably will treat him as unholy if we do this. And even as a liar, if we continue to take things into our own hands, we must be careful that we do not doubt the goodness of God, especially when we're experiencing hardship and opposition. We cannot forget that God is true and every man is a liar. God is faithful. If we forget this, we will treat God as if he is not holy and true. So what areas in your life do you need to believe God more in? Where are you in danger of dishonoring God by the way you doubt? There's many areas. One of the ones that came to my mind was the salvation of our children. I think one of the areas we're most commonly tempted to act like Moses and Aaron in this story is with our own children. We're prone to anger with our kids. We lash out. We exasperate them. We feel at times as if our anger will accomplish something. We're also prone to never saying no to our children. We would never yell at them. We fear that 
we would lose them if we were to make them unhappy, especially as they, as they get older. We will at times not demand that they honor God's name, especially because we despise conflict. We're prone to fear. We don't trust God in faith. We seek control, and we become parents who stop trusting God with our children. When the primary aim of our life is not to see the name of the Lord be honored, we're in sin. Trust God with your kids. Trust God with your children. And let it be known in your home that the top priority is the name of the Lord being honored. And God will take care of the rest. So many of the things that we worry about are absolutely meaningless. We must fear God. There are many other areas where we need to believe God. How about how God will provide for our needs? Are you stingy with your money? Do you worry about the economy, about gas prices? Do politics weigh on your mind? Are wars, conflicts, protests, the decline of American values, something that consumes your mind and your thoughts on a weekly basis? Will not God give you everything? Do you believe in him? Don't take things into your own hands. Don't try. Don't treat God as anything less than holy and a good father. How unbecoming it is for the Christian to worry about matters of the world, especially when we claim faith in the God of the universe. Is God not holy? Is he not who he says he is? Believe God. He is holy. He is to be feared. Believe and obey him. Trust him. He is a good father who sits in heaven, who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. In all areas of your life, look to God. Trust him. Don't allow yourself to believe that he will not guide or protect you, that he has abandoned you. We must honor God. At the end of our passage in Numbers it says, those were the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. He proved himself holy among them. God will always show himself to be holy. He will prove it. Even if the people refuse, even if we refuse, God's holiness will shine through. Do not contend with the Lord as the Israelites did. This is a battle that we cannot win. Do not test the holiness of God. He will be honored. His name will be honored. And those who refuse to honor him will be removed. And so I call on you. Honor God. Hollow his name. Let your life be in agreement with this petition, this first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Believe God in all that he says and promises, that he will never leave you, nor he'll forsake you. And obey him. He's a good father. He's all-powerful, and he knows what you and I need before we ask. And so go to him with boldness and confidence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, in this Lord's Prayer, Father, teaching us how to come before God the Father. Lord, I pray that we will honor God as God and hallowed his name, Father. May we treat the Lord is holy, Father. May our lives reflect this, we pray, Father. In your name, amen.